0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hello, my fellow suffering beings. There are so many benefits to mindfulness. And one of the biggies, in my opinion, is that having more self-awareness Being able to see the contents of your mind, your thoughts, your urges, your emotions with more clarity. That allows you to identify the often very unhelpful mental habits you've developed over the years. And once you can see these habits of mind, you don't have to be so owned by them. You can be less emotionally reactive. Today we're going to do a meat and potatoes Dharma episode. We're going to talk in very clear and practical ways about how Buddhist meditation can help all of us, no matter what level we're at, turn down the volume on our unproductive mental habits and be less reactive. That's actually just some of what we're gonna talk about today with my guest Carol Wilson, who's a titan of the American meditation scene and is making her first appearance here on this show today. Carol is a guiding teacher at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, where for many years she has taught their annual three-month retreat which has always been simultaneously horrifying and oddly attractive to me. Carol began her insight meditation practice in 1971 over in India. In the 1980s, she spent a year in Thailand as a Buddhist nun. And in this conversation we talked about how to be mindful in very simple ways throughout your day, what she calls 360 degree awareness, why counterintuitively she loves to notice when she's experiencing wanting or aversion, why she believes the root of suffering comes from making everything all about us, and how seeing your own torment can help you experience freedom from the self. We also talk about the benefits of reflecting on your past acts of generosity, which is actually not making it all about you, she'll explain. We talk about bringing awareness to your motivations and doing gratitude practice regularly as a way to change your inner weather. thriller is um, quite extensive. They've got John Grisham. Tons of stuff by Stephen King, David Baldacci. My favorite that I've checked out recently in the crime fiction genre is called Age of Vice. It's by Deep D. Kapoor. It came out uh, not long ago. Not only is it thrilling and uh, very, very plotty, but it's also written incredibly well. It's truly literature. Deep D. Kapoor is a a force of nature as a writer. Age of Vice. It takes you into the uh, Underworld in New Delhi in India. I absolutely love that one. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500, 500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500, 500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. whole wheat pita pockets, and more. I am constantly consuming these 365 products, including the the raw cashews, which I snack on all the time. We love the 365 sea salt and pepper. Uh, We love their sushi rice. You get the picture, go check it out. Taste the Mediterranean now at Whole Foods Market.
1: Dell Tech Fest starts now. To thank you for 40 unforgettable years, Dell Technologies is celebrating with anniversary savings on their most popular tech. For a limited time only, save on select next-gen PCs, like the XPS 13+, Plus, where you can make the everyday easier with Windows 11. Plus, curate your dream setup with great deals on select monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at dell.com deals, You'll have access to leading-edge technology and free shipping on everything. Again, that's dell.com slash deals.
0: Carol Wilson, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Sure. Happy to be here.
0: I'm happy you're here. We were chatting before we started rolling here about... Some of the ways in which you teach. And you said some incredibly interesting stuff that I'm going to, if you're okay, get you to repeat to the best of your ability. You talked about how there's kind of two aspects of practice that are really interesting to you and show up a lot in your teaching. I'm going to summarize it probably poorly, but one you were describing as kind of like everyday techniques for changing the habits of our mind. And the other, is dropping into a simple awareness or not clinging to whatever's coming up in the mind. So I don't know if I've restated that with any degree of accuracy, but if you're comfortable, please hold forth.
2: Okay, first I would say those are just two different angles of the same thing, right? So go to the second one, we say dropping into a kind of receptive quality of natural awareness. That's something that, when we're talking not in a way of deep concentration, but this receptive awareness that's simply as a natural quality and function of all of our minds. Some people call it consciousness, but consciousness free from self concept or wanting or aversion, just kind of pure knowing. That's available to all of us on a formal meditation retreat and off a formal meditation retreat. So when I said two aspects, it's more whether we are tuning into awareness or noticing the different techniques or ways that the Buddha taught that could help us to transform the habits of our mind. Both of these go together and both of these can be done on a more silent, intensive retreat and really in daily life. I really mean this. Something that I've learned more to trust in the last 10 years or so in terms of early Buddhism. That this receptive, simple awareness of just noticing, just interested in whatever happens to be arising in our experience, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching with the body and the mental realm. You know, these six sense objects, as the Buddha described, in a way that Buddha described that is the world. That's all experience, these six sense experiences, just coming and going. whether you're in deep meditation or running around in the supermarket. So what makes it meditation either way is the quality of recognizing awareness rather than, I wouldn't say dropping into it. It's not a thing over here we drop into. It's an aspect of experience that's available in any moment, that we kind of remember to recognize and include. So for example, hearing. First of all, we don't often even notice hearing. We'll say, oh, that's a bell. Well, what's that loud sound out there? Is that a siren? I wonder what's happening. So recognizing hearing as a process is a first step. You could call that mindfulness meditation, just being with what's happening. But recognizing that hearing is happening, that there's just a knowing of hearing, an awareness of hearing, that's what I'm talking about, the simple receptive awareness, right? Oh, hearing, that's all. Mostly we get absorbed in what's happening, the hearing or seeing, you know, we know we're seeing, but we don't recognize the habit that the function, that seeing as a process it's more, oh, I'm looking at Dan or I see three squares on the screen or whatever, you know, and, and that solidifies the world. Right away, there's the world and there's me and there's my desk and the my, and all of that, like that perception. When I recognize, oh, yeah, there's awareness, knowing that seeing's happening, all those so called objects of sight, they're still known. It's not like I don't know what's happening. But all the attention isn't just zooming into it. The sense of awareness of seeing is hard to explain. It's a completely different feeling. It doesn't detach from the experience. But when the mind that's not clinging to experience, it's just recognizing seeing, there's an ease. There's a coolness. What I'm seeing may be very unpleasant. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. There's aversion right away. Oh, seeing's happening is happening in the mind, a mental state, it's still happening, but that Velcro to it goes away when the attention is resting at that moment, is recognizing awareness. That can flip back and forth all the time. Does this make sense, Dan, you're nodding, but I don't know if it's making sense.
0: <laughs> it makes sense to me. Let me see if I can recapitulate a little bit and you'll tell me if I'm actually making sense of it. I think the analogy that's sometimes used is like being in a movie theater. You may be so absorbed in the images projected onto the screen that you don't even realize, for much of the time, this is part of the magic of the of the movies. You're in the story. You're just totally in the story, but you can. Do a little bit of refocusing and and realize that, yeah, there are some lights coming out of the back of the room, projecting images onto this screen. And I can enjoy the movie and follow the action while also every once in a while realizing it is just a movie. And you can do that with life, too. It's not to dissociate.
2: It's actually more inclusive. It includes everything. It includes, like you're in the movie, looking at the movie, and you're still looking at the movie, and there becomes that awareness of the light coming behind, of the mood that you're feeling, the thoughts that you're having, and that you're in a mood. All of that's included, and if anything, you're more fully present with it because of not pushing away or liking or disliking. You're right, though. The sense of it being real defining life is gone. You realize, oh, this is just... It's what it is in this moment. It's totally what it is. And then it's gone. It's totally what it is in this moment. And then the next moment's different.
0: What's the benefit to doing this? Why kick ourselves out of the movie of the seemingly solid reality of life?
2: Well, you know, the the whole teachings of the Buddha are to free our heart and mind from suffering, right? The first noble truth. We can't control external circumstances. You know, and the Buddha's teaching isn't that that the suffering that we can fix the world. The suffering he's talking about is the quality in our own mind and heart that leads to suffering, which is the quality of fear, of anger, the difficult emotions. Again, I was listening to Thich Nhat Hanh, and he says, you know, if we want to try and meet the world with peace, we have to learn how to have peace in our own heart and mind. And when we're struggling, when we're filled with Fear or anger towards it, or self hatred, or judgment of someone else, all of these difficult emotions, that's really suffering. And back to perception, then we perceive through the lens of that fear, of that uh, attachment to some idea, the lens of greed. I mean, so we are caught in the movie and we react, you know, we react with fear, with love, with happiness, with excitement. But it keeps us from actually living at ease and at peace. So learning to shift from this habit of reactivity to whatever's occurring. And the reactivity basically comes down to what does it mean to me? How do I feel? It's good. It's bad. How does that affect me? That's how we go through life. That's all we know. And learning to perceive, like Thich Nhat Hanh says, Dalai Lama says it too. All of our difficulties come from mistaken perception. And these reactivities of heart and mind come from mistaken perception, feed our continuum to mistake what's really going on. So, actually, it's really quite profound because the potential for real happiness, for real ease and peace, and, and the natural effect of that is to respond to difficult situations with compassion rather than fear or anger, with loving kindness with friendliness, with inclusion, to be able to appreciate somebody's goodness rather than seeing it as something you're lacking, or to be with difficult situations with equanimity, and equanimity is not the same as blocking it off. To be so present in this moment, really present in this moment with whatever's occurring, including an unpleasant experience. I mean, just read the news every day, unpleasant experience. Can I still hear that news? Feel the fear, the anger. Recognize, oh, anger is like this, and including that in awareness, the mind, the heart, the awareness doesn't get taken over by that in a moment. That though we need training because the habit is to dive back into the reactivity. Making sense? So that's why the all the Buddha taught all these different ways to recognize the beautiful qualities that arise from clear seeing. arise from a peaceful heart, from a a non agitated, but fully present heart and mind you will naturally get the beautiful qualities of relating, you know, inertia, both sides of inertia, the physical principle of a body in motion tends to stay in motion, the body at rest stays at rest. So when anger is the the quality in the mind that's in motion, it's a lot easier for it to be the next moment that arises in the next moment, Right. That's the habit, it's just a habit. We don't have to be victims of that habit. When generosity is arising, it's a happy feeling. It's easier for that to arise in the next moment. The awareness helps us just see how these things work. It's kind of science, it's just nature. And then the Buddha gives us all these techniques of how not to keep falling in, how not to keep falling into the habits of reactivity.
0: Well, let's pick up on the techniques there because some listeners might have heard you talk about shifting into this ever-present awareness, and that could sound to some vague or maddeningly attractive, but unobtainable.
2: Absolutely. I know. It's, it's turning into jargon. I, I totally <laughs> relate to that. Yes, it takes practice. It's really simple. A retreat is really helpful. I said we can do it at home, but retreat is really helpful Because it's practicing. Our habit isn't to recognize just the simple knowing. Our habit is to get involved in the story. I just did a self-retreat for five weeks recently. All I'm doing is giving myself time, whatever I'm doing in the day, living very simply, to keep recognizing the awareness side. So the way Sadhutajinia describes it, I like it because it's simple. Take any moment, a moment now of hearing, as I said before. The experience is hearing. That's happening. And when we say mindfulness or you could say awareness, it's just knowing that hearing is happening, right? Can you see those are kind of two sides of the same experience?
0: There's the hearing the doorbell and knowing it's a doorbell and then having all the stories about who's ringing my doorbell. And then there's the just raw awareness of hearing being known.
2: Right. And there could also be raw awareness of knowing. I think it's a doorbell.
0: Or awareness of the mind perceiving, which is a fascinating process to observe because when I notice, oh, sometimes I'm sitting in meditation and a fire engine goes by and I see my mind, identify it as fire engine, but I didn't do it. You know, like that just happened on its own.
2: That's exactly, that's a perfect example. And so the awareness piece, you see, that's available And it is kind of like watching a movie, except we're in it. We're not like trying to push it away. And it's seeing that the hearing happened by itself. You didn't plan the fire engine going by. You didn't say in a moment, I have to be ready to hear what's going to happen. It just happens naturally if your hearing works. What we can start to recognize is that the awareness is also happening naturally when we're conscious. And so the beginning of practice is just beginning to include recognizing that side of the moment. And it's so nothing, there's nothing to get to prove you're doing it. We want (laughs) results. So it's so nothing that we ignore it. We overlook it as a habit and we keep going into the, like, what talks louder, whatever's arising, what the mind's doing. When we start recognizing again and again, the knowing of that, and whatever the mind's doing, we can know it. That's the, the beginning of practice. Because basically our habit is just to overlook it. It's always available. So nothing special. We just tend to overlook it. So we're needing to shift habit to recognize that.
0: It's funny because awareness, you, see, you describe it as nothing, but it's also like the container in which everything arises at the same time. It's a mystery or it's mysterious at the very least.
2: Awareness It's language, right? Just what you said is how we talk. Awareness is a container that contains everything. A container has an in and an out, and it has limits. It's a thing. It's a noun.
0: It's a process arising in our mind that we can watch happening, but we don't know who's doing it or why or or how we develop this capacity. That's the mystery.
2: I would say the mind is arising in awareness, actually. I mean, mind is such a tricky word. Mind often you know is used as a let's not use scientific, but all the mental processes, right? So seeing, thinking, perception, feeling pleasant or unpleasant, all the concepts, you know, seeing the fire truck, internal, all of that, mental activity arising. But each one is a mental activity arising in this moment and gone, right? A thought comes and goes, it's not in some mind somewhere, that arising is the mind. I'm not trying to say I have the ultimate answer to this. I know I'm going to get all kinds of flack. I'm just trying to describe how <laughs> I talk about it in retreat.
0: You're not going to get any flack from me. Um,
2: no, I know. You're not giving out my address. so they can't you. <laughs> But okay, anyway, but, but, it's just more simple. than when we try to get conceptual, it makes it too complicated. This simple recognizing is very available.
0: So let me pick up on that then, because I agree with you that if we, we conceptualizing can be a, a thicket. You talked about practicing this on retreat, but I, I want to empathize with and leap into the shoes, socks, and sandals of some listeners who may never have an opportunity to go on retreat and would be interested to practice what you're describing in daily life. In terms of ways to do that, the first thing that's coming to my mind as somebody who's not a teacher, so this may be a bad idea, is just using a gentle mental note, which you described early on in this interview. You said you might just know when the doorbell rings, hearing. Oh, there's some awareness of hearing, not just what is being heard. Is that one technique that we could use?
2: It could be. I mean, yeah, it could be. This is what's tricky to me about techniques because it depends what's going on in the person's experience when they say hearing because I've worked with mental noting a lot in my practice. So first I want to say, when I say I use retreat just to help me remember to recognize the knowing quality, but I'm trying to do that all in my life. I mean, it's not like I leave it at retreat. It's just because it's so always available and so not sexy, you could say, we overlook it, so we just need to train. So yes, a mental noting of hearing or recognition of hearing, if that helps to recognize the process of hearing, that you're feeling the process, see if that helps you do that. It can also be even without the note too. I mean, some people, when they use noting, they get too glommed into the note, into the word, and that's just another object. So you have to look and see what helps you. Relax, allow experience. All experience is just coming to itself. Allow yourself to relax and just notice what experience is coming. And I would suggest in daily life, To take some quiet time, whether you're doing formal sitting meditation or formal walking meditation or just some quiet time, because when there's so much coming in and our habits are so strong, that's really like make it the most difficult you possibly could and try to recognize a simple moment of awareness. It's just not going to happen. Take 20 minutes to just sit quietly, eyes open or closed. And I would even start with a simple, not just be aware of everything that's happening because thinking will just take over because we we practice that so much. Be really simple, like lately I'll be sitting and I'll, I'll let my attention just not go to, but feel the sensations in my hands, for example. There's always a lot of tingling there. I'm not trying to focus on that. I'm just allowing those sensations to be known because they're very obvious. And then if hearing arises, you could use noting to say, oh, hearing, or just knowing that there's hearing, explore for yourself. And then all of a sudden, it's five minutes later, and you were thinking about what you're going to do later. And then, oh, thinking. As soon as there's recognizing thinking, you recognize that the difference between loss in thought and awareness of thinking. They're little moments. They won't give you a lot of sense you're doing something, or you're not trying to change the state of your mind but you're just trying to shift what we notice. So I would take some quiet time to sit. I, just do, I feel my hands, the sensations. Then I'll just go into hearing because it's very receptive. It's so clear you're not making the sounds happen and just letting them fall in. And there's a moment where it's just, at first the mind's going out to the hearing and then it just kind of relax. Let your attention, let your whole being relax and just be interested in the process of hearing, noticing the whole process. So you keep practicing that. Walking's a great way. When I get up in the morning, I do just walking back and forth for about 20, 30 minutes because my mind's kind of all over when I wake up in the morning. And I'm just walking and feeling the feet, not like this and the mind's doing its thing and there's these emotions and there's seeing and there's hearing. And if it gets too confusing, I feel the feet. But it's not about trying to name the sensations. It's using this very simple experience to recognize the knowing. Learning to recognize moods and emotions when they're happening, I found that so useful in daily life. You know I mean? We can say, yeah, I know I'm angry. But that's different from just feeling, oh, anger feels like this. Not to say you shouldn't be. Not to say you're trying to fix it. The emphasis is always noticing the mind's relation to what's happening, not just what's happening. The mind knowing what's happening then the awareness of your moods, your emotions, as you go through the day, becomes much more available. And that's that's also bringing in the simple awareness through the day. You're not trying to be better. You're just trying to shift that foreground background a little bit.
0: But it can make you better because if you are not so caught up cognitively in your anger and a little bit more in touch with the way anger is acting in your body right now, well, then you might not act out of anger reflexively and habitually.
2: Exactly. It's so intrinsic. It's our habit. But you're absolutely correct. Otherwise, why bother? So this is, again, nature. You know, the wholesome feeds the wholesome. The Buddha talked a lot about what feeds uh, wholesome states and what starves unwholesome states. He used that language a lot. And steady awareness or steady mindfulness is one of the conditions that allows wisdom, the wisdom of clear seeing, the wisdom of the mind that lets go, because that aversion, the anger is so unpleasant. So you get, you get information. It's like, oh, feeling disrespected feels like this. And again, it doesn't have to run my life. You know, there's a sense of, okay, disrespected is unpleasant. And there's the space. I don't need to act from that.
0: I sometimes describe meditation as like a video game where you can't move forward if you want to move forward. But hence I think your emphasis on receptivity because it is an antidote or can be I think an antidote to the striving type A mind where you you have repeatedly throughout the course of this brief conversation referenced, oh, well, hearing, for example, tunes you into the fact that it's, it's all happening on its own. It's nature and we don't have to interfere. And that, that I think for me, the effortlessness of awareness is very powerful to try to witness as frequently as I can.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's just so opposite of what we've always been taught. I mean, we've been taught, you want to get something done, you do it. And the only way we know how to do, mostly, is by trying and creating. It's all cause and effect, is what it means by its all nature. And even if, quote, I interfere, what arises? If awareness keeps noticing, you notice a feeling of wanting. Wanting wants something, a leaning forward. It's an unpleasant experience. And the movement of wanting says, our habit is, well, let me get the thing I want so I don't have to feel this unpleasant experience. That's how wanting works. Keeps us going, going, inertia, right? And so then we think I interfered, (laughs) but there was no I there. It was just, again, the habit of it's unpleasant, the wanting comes, the movement in to trying to do, to get what I want. It's just the habit of wanting doing its thing. And since it doesn't work, then we feel disappointed and then there's like some aversion and then you know those times in meditation that went so quickly from oh this receptive effortless awareness to feeling like you're in one big knot of how did I get here and I could never do it 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 can go like that but what I got from Tejani is once you recognize oh just keep noticing what's arising how is the mind relating to this moment of experience and so I'm trying to move forward. I'm trying not. I can't get the effortless. What do I do? Instead of trying to figure out the content, widen the, like, the sense of the field of awareness of what's happening now. Ah, uh, wanting. That's good enough. We don't need to know all the particular stories. You notice wanting is, is coloring the mind right now. In that moment, awareness isn't wanting. It's noticing. And wanting is not a problem. It's just another arising experience. but Once you recognize it, we're free from it. But when we don't recognize it, I know this, I know this for myself, but you learn it from watching your mind. When wanting isn't recognized and it's driving the bus, it's coloring the intentions, it's coloring the decisions, it's coloring perception. Once I recognize I've been acting from wanting, what I know is I can't trust any assessment my thinking mind is making in that moment. Mm -hmm. Same with aversion. Same with confusion if I recognize it. It could be right, it could be wrong, but I can't trust it because the assessment's being made through wanting. I love recognizing wanting and aversion when it's operating in my mind and my heart all through the day because I'll be doing something, I get an email, I think, oh, well, this answer is obvious, and I start to write it, and now it's getting better maybe 50% of the time. I feel I feel that tightness, which comes from my aversive. I know it's right. And let me just explain to you why I'm right. You know, and if I can just not send it, when I read it the next day, the aversion is just screaming off the page. Maybe I was right. (laughs) You know, maybe what I was saying was accurate, but I would never have seen it clearly without aversion. And then the next day, I see all these other aspects of the situation that I wasn't able to see when the mind was narrow in the aversion or in the wanted, you know, it gives you tunnel vision. So when I see it, ah, aversion, the aware mind is happy. Yeah. It's happy to see that. And you're not suffering from, you're really not, ah, oh, aversions like that. There's this, it's not a place, but it's how I know I'm recognizing awareness and not pretending. Because that sense of ease, even while the difficult situation's still happening, is there. And you you kind of think it's there, but when it's really there, you know it. It's just a second, but you really know it. Ah, yeah, right. I'm feeling disrespected. It feels like that, right? That's what's going on. That's interesting.
0: But it's not a problem when you're being aware of it. It kind of reminds me of something, and hopefully this is an appropriate association I'm making here, but I remember being on retreat once and realizing that if I was struggling or suffering, that inevitably meant there was something I was not being mindful of. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that.
2: Yep. And I'd even simplify it. If you're struggling, there's something you're not being mindful of. And I would bet my life is greed, hatred, or confusion in the mind. (laughs) You know, we can be 360 degree awareness, I call it, that kind of relaxed and receptive, not trying to hone in on one thing. But it's not as if I have to be mindful of every single thing in the environment, right? I mean, that that can get to be a trip. But when I'm suffering or struggling on or off retreat, absolutely, there's some form of holding or some form of denial, there's some form of aversion or, or delusion making it all about me that I'm not seeing. That I'm mm-hmm. not aware of. Absolutely. If you're feeling compassion and you're not aware of it, you won't suffer. You just won't be aware of it.
0: Right, right, right. But this explains why you got so enthusiastic when you said, I love the mind loves to see even the, the greed because the seeing is like a self liberation.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where you move to the not self. You know, that seeing isn't taking it personally. It's not saying Carol has so much aversion. And I mean, that's a common way we think, isn't it? And I remember very clearly, it was a moment of insight. You know, the insight comes and goes, but you keep reliving it. Where it was so clear, aversion arose in a particular moment as a cause and effect habit. You know, unpleasant, unpleasant. There was this thought, but it was a habit. And it just arose when it was seen, it went away. It wasn't anything about carol or personal. It didn't require getting all upset about it. And in that case, it also doesn't last so long. And so the happiness of seeing the torment, <laughs> the kaleidoscopic greed, hatred, confusion, all the t- happiness of seeing it, part of that is that moment of freedom from view of self. It's that moment of freedom from the, the narrowness of little self, of personality view. You're not thinking I'm free from it. You're not thinking about it. It's just this moment of life with no self-reference point back. And it doesn't matter that what awareness was noticing was greed or aversion. It really doesn't matter. Awareness doesn't care what it's noticing when you're in awareness and the, you know, the conditions just keep on rolling along. I'm sure, I'm not sure, but probably you've heard Joseph Goldstein quote his teacher Manindraji, who used to say, it's a very famous quotation, uh, that life is just empty phenomena rolling along.
0: Yes. That's
2: like not metaphorical.
0: That is actually what is happening when you pay attention.
2: Whether we're paying attention or not,
0: it's just we can start (laughs) to
2: notice it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thing, that's what's wonderful about the awakening I about insights. It's not that something different starts to happen. That's why they say, you know, that r- wrong perception is what's leading to all our suffering. It's not that we go to a different place. You know, we recognize more accurately how things are.
0: So if we're in right perception, which is that it's empty phenomena rolling on, meaning that it's a bunch of mind moments or mental objects that are insubstantial in and of themselves that just keep going and going and going forever, that just knowing that that's the truth instead of our solid movie of I'm a good person, that person's a bad person, whatever, there's freedom in that.
2: It doesn't have to be that complicated. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm just trying to help listeners grasp it conceptually. As you talk
2: about it, that might be a way of explaining it. Yes. But I actually have a rather simple mind. I'm not very philosophical, which I only discovered to my chagrin quite late in life. I hang out with all these philosophical types and I suddenly realized, oh, I can't keep up with these guys. And they're mostly guys. And I'm not saying it's better. I'm just saying it's different. But mine's more simple. But as I said before, that it's moment to moment. So in a moment, right perception doesn't have to be all of that description. It's simply a moment of being present without the veil of greed or aversion or putting a story of me on it. It's just a moment, right perception, it's just a moment of, as Ajahn Samedo always says, it's like this now. You don't have to make the story into that whole emptiness phenomenon rolling on, but in that moment of, oh, oh, not being respected feels like this. In that moment, all that stuff we were talking about is happening. You don't have to think that. You don't have to believe that or not believe it. In just that simple moment of letting go of the attachment to wanting it different and being fully present with it as it is, that moment of clear perception without confusion or greed or meaning, that's that's a moment of Freedom.
0: Shocking that I would overcomplicate anything. That's (laughs) no precedent for that.
2: That's what we all do. And when I say it's so simple, people go, yeah, right. You know.
0: Coming up, Carol Wilson explains the crunch place and how to deal with that crunch place with awareness. And she talks about a different way to think about the practice of generosity. After this. I always love it when uh, the people behind a product that my family already uses tell us that they want to be sponsors of this show. Today it's Tidy Cats. As you may know, we have uh, an unreasonable amount of cats, four of them. So we use a lot of kitty litter and Tidy Cats is great. Uh they have a product called Tidy Care Alert which uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help you put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. Whether you have one or four cats, they make it easy to keep track. Plus, it's low dust and lightweight with long-lasting ammonia control from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. I'm not a vet, but I do love cats. Tidy Cats. Check them out. I had a very pleasant experience shopping on quince.com. Very easy-to-use website. And they've got a terrific selection. I bought myself a cashmere sweater and a sweatshirt. That sweatshirt in particular is an extremely heavy rotation. If you watch the YouTube version of this podcast, you will see it. Or if you see me on social media occasionally, I'm wearing my Quince sweatshirt. And I have to say, uh, the prices are hard to beat for a luxury brand. What's more, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices along with premium fabrics and finishes. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's com slash happier to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash happier. When you say the story of me or seeing not self,
2: mm-hmm. let
0: me see if I can overcomplicate things by trying to put that into no, words. No, we have you,
2: to talk about it. We okay, have to talk okay. about it.
0: So when I see the feeling of being disrespected, I can drop me being disrespected and all the stories I have about why I'm always the one who's being disrespected. And I, why do I always put up with this stuff? And just notice the physical... And mental phenomena that arise in that moment doesn't mean I disappear and that I don't exist and don't need to wear pants or go to the dentist. just means that I can see that this is impersonal at some fundamental level.
2: Okay, that's your basic mindfulness, just being fully present with present moment experience as it is. That would be your basic mindfulness instruction for being with an emotion, right? So feeling disrespected feels like this just let your attention be fully with the physical experience of it, which is not even a label at that point. You know, it might be some tingling. It might be some hardness or the heart might be pounding. There might be a kind of a, like a cloud a a mental feeling cloud of kind of heaviness or tightness or gloom or something just to try and describe it. Right. Just a kind of feeling and that's what's happening. Right. And then, Being present with that, you're not thinking me or not me or anything, but all that story about past and future and what if, and back then, it's just not arising in that moment, but it requires that, that balance, that trust to be fully present with an unpleasant physical, emotional experience, right? Just present there. There's not about me or not me, but then if you notice, you keep paying attention and then the thoughts do start coming because that's the, ha- oh yeah, well, why did they disrespect me? And it's because I'm a woman. And it's because, well, you know, and whatever particular story gets going, that can also be met with mindfulness. And then that also, if awareness is noticing that story, it it also isn't personal, right? It's just, that's the habit that comes. But at some point for most of us that noticing those thoughts stops and it's kind of like our energy of attention goes into believing those thoughts. It is true. I am a woman and this, and that did happen. And and the feelings get stronger of unhappiness and we sort of know they're there, but we're really in it. You know, we're really identified with it at that point. And that's what I call the story of me. Does that make sense? You could have the same thoughts and watch that they come and go They won't last very long, but then we suddenly lose the awareness and we're really in it. And it kind of just keeps feeding, keeps feeding.
0: It does make sense. I can imagine some people saying, well, since you invoked sexism, you know, the movie, maybe it's unsubstantial at some fundamental level, but we are all still living in, uh, in this movie in some ways. And so sexism is a thing that we need to be aware of and deal with.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is always kind of like the, it's the crunch place, you know, because it's absolutely true. I think we said this earlier, where I was saying, you know, the Buddha, he's teaching us ways to understand how suffering is arising in our own heart and mind. And then that will affect how we relate and interact in the world. So all the teachings of the Buddha and meditation and techniques can't change the fact that sexism exists and they're not denying that sexism exists. The way we're describing is helping us see how when I walk into a situation where I see sexism, if I have a sense of understanding how it triggers anger or feeling disrespected and how if I don't recognize it, I get more angry and then I'll react with anger and then that person reacts with anger and then we're butting heads or there's no communication. That's one way. We have to, as we practice and learn to trust more, that I can, using the same example, see how when the feeling of disrespect is there, the stories about it because I'm a woman come up, and I can see those stories running, see how it affects feeling disrespect, and, and be able to be aware without getting triggered by that. And then if you stay with it, what really comes when the when the torment goes, when the aversion, when the self Justification and all isn't there. That's when the beautiful qualities arise. Either equanimity, or clear seeing, or compassion. So you can walk into a situation where there's sex, isn't either. You feel you feel your own reactions come up, but it's met with clear seeing and even some compassion. Oh yeah, that's really suffering, and enough awareness that I can either keep my mouth shut. Until I can respond in a way that's actually connecting with the person or at least not responding out of anger. And that comes from awareness of really seeing this pattern and how it's running in this personality. Without that, we just can make the whole situation worse. So it really that's the thing with uh, these teachings and with meditation. it's starting from the inside out. It, it's all about how we respond and relate in the world. But it all starts from, this. Thich Nhat Hanh was saying, I just was listening to this the other day, you know, you can't, you can't bring peace to other people if you can't find peace within your own mind and heart, if you can't find peace with your own difficult emotions. So, but it's not a piece of pushing them down and pretending we don't feel them or judging ourselves. It's actually welcoming them into the light of awareness, which is kind of weird, but that's that, you know, happier to see it than not.
0: I want to go back to the beginning of our conversation because I started out by asking you about something you had said to me before we started rolling about the kind of two aspects of practice. The second was just kind of holding things in awareness. And the first was I made a note about like everyday techniques for changing our mental habits that lead to suffering. Have we covered both of those? Because I didn't carefully delineate.
2: I didn't talk a lot about the first one.
0: Okay, please.
2: When we're leading these retreats that are, that are really about practicing, just whatever's arising arises without any judgment and awareness is noticing. So in the retreat, you're not trying to stop greed. You know, you're not trying to say greed is bad. I've got to feel metta, you know, because that's just more aversion. We're not doing that. But there's other ways to continue to choose Choose beauty or choose love or choose compassion, you know, not just wait for the steadiness of awareness to reveal how much suffering there is. So, for example, practicing generosity. I mean, when the Buddha taught, he always started teaching lay people with dana, which is generosity, sila, which is conscious conduct, non-harming conduct, and then bhavana, mental cultivation, mental development. All are working to I know this is a weird word and you purify or transform the suffering habits of our mind. So generosity, which I learned a lot from all the years I've, I've been going every year to Myanmar, to Burma, it's really deep in the culture, isn't like the thing I learned growing up. It's good to be generous. It's wonderful. And we should, because we have more. That's true. But the generosity that dana has practiced is this sense of The joy that arises when we really open and offer something, whatever it is, just a smile, to actually allow one's awareness to feel that open-hearted, just that openness for me to share. There's a happiness there that's wholesome, that's different from feeling, oh, I'm writing out this check because I'm so generous, but it's still all about me and should. But the the offering of generosity is just, here. Have this flower. It's not about the thing. If you, you tune in to that wholesome motivation. And it makes you happy. It makes you want to be more generous. And it makes it easier. And this is actually cultivating the wholesome as opposed to holding on, you know, as opposed to clinging. The Buddha said, there's one sutta where he said, you know, when your mind's all caught up and you can't kind of see clear my language, one of the practices you can do is sit down in your home, when you're at work, whatever you're doing, and reflect on your past acts of generosity. Actually remember, and you're not remembering I'm so great, you're remembering the happiness that came with that. And he says, when you're reflecting on your generosity, and similar to non-harming conduct, your mind, your heart is going straight. It's not clouded by passion. It's not clouded by aversion or fear. It's headed towards the Dhamma. Well, we can all do that. You know, the Buddha always started teaching to lay people with that. Similarly, with giving attention to our motivations for action. You know, of course, the five lay precepts of not killing, not stealing, not harming ourselves or others with our sexual activity, not lying or using harsh speech or divisive speech, and not indulging in any kind of intoxicants that cloud the mind to the point of causing heedlessness. Those could just be seen as rules to be a good person. But if you if you dive into them from the motivation, of course, we're all gonna blow it. It's not that, but it's good to have a line. Yes, you don't kill people, you don't kill animals. Okay, that's a good line to have. <laughs> when you come up against it, something to remind us. But to give awareness, again, without judgment, to our motivations. And when you do some little thing, you take a spider outside instead of just sweeping it away. And not thinking I'm so great, but just feel, oh, it just feels nice. Feel that. Tune into just the happiness of non-harming, the sense of don't try to say, oh, I feel so connected to the universe. Don't make up a story. <laughs> but just feel like the lack of aversion, you know, the lack of separation. When You start to talk bad about a third person because it makes the two of you who are talking feel closer together. Have you ever noticed that? Uh How much of gossip is like that? You start and then you realize what you're doing and you just stop. That's all. You don't say you're so bad. You just stop. Feel how it feels to refrain from acting in a way that causes harm to others or oneself. It feels light, it feels happy. There's not greed and aversion in the mind. So these are ways of training and you can't do them without awareness. Awareness slips in there everywhere. It's very sneaky. You're just (laughs) noticing what you're doing. Those are two basic, very available. It just means we're willing to pay attention to what we're doing. And it's not an ego thing. It's different from an ego thing to recognize the happiness of wholesome, non-harming activity. The Buddha, like I say, really emphasized that. When you go to bed at night, you know, a lot of uh, Tibetan teachers talk a lot about looking at your motivations through the day. At the end of the day, stop and reflect on all the little good things you did in the day, little things you recycled, you know, <laughs> little stuff that helps the planet a little bit. You know, you went to visit uh, a sick friend, you didn't have to, and they're not sick, but you were happy to do that. You did a little shopping for somebody else. You refrained from writing a nasty email, even though clearly you were completely right and they were completely wrong. <laughs> you know, our moments, another thing is gratitude. Ajahn Sumedho said once that he thinks gratitude and contentment are very supportive conditions for awakening. I love doing gratitude practice just at night, again. Start thinking about all the things we can be grateful for. I know people listening are all over the place and many in much more difficult situations than I am sitting here. But for me, it's endless once I start what I can be grateful for. I had the good fortune to meet the Dharma in my lifetime. It can be big things. Start with gratitude. And again, it brings this joy to the heart. And we can appreciate that. I have one friend who told me, she said she's very versive. and she's an older woman. She's been trying to practice gratitude and she's so pleased because she wakes up in the morning and all her life she's woken up with cold feet. And now sometimes when she wakes up and her feet are warm, she thinks, oh, I'm so grateful for warm feet. You say it sounds silly, but it changes the mental atmosphere. It changes the weather pattern in your mind from, oh, no, no, another grumpy day to, oh, I'm so grateful. I'm getting up with warm feet. Inertia, you know, it's much more likely to arise in the next moment. So those are just a few things off the top of my head. Loving kindness practice, compassion practice, all those things.
0: Let me just see if I can sum this up again just to make sure I've got it and to give you an opportunity to expand where I may not have gotten it. We have these habits of mind that are deeply ingrained, including greed, hatred, and confusion about the way things are. And in moments where we're getting caught up in those ancient and often pernicious habits, there are a bunch of moves we can make that can help untie the knot, including love and kindness practice, generosity, gratitude ethical conduct that can jar us out and into something more productive
2: yes that can be it depends how caught up we are so you can do say gratitude practice you do a moment of gratitude very sincerely this is again back to that if you want to if you really want to move ahead but you really want it you can't move ahead (laughs) same thing same thing I'm going to say I'm grateful that bombs aren't falling for me because I feel aversive and I want it to go away. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. You know, it has to be sincere even just for a moment, but yes, but not only when we're caught up, there's plenty of time when we're just kind of neutral, just kind of dulling out a little bit or just kind of la, la, la sitting around cultivate the wholesome in those moments And it'll be much more available in the, as you describe it, caught up moments, you know, much more available. So at first, when we're really caught up, if we even just recognizing we're caught up, that's awareness. You've already taken a step out of identification into awareness. Appreciate that. That's already a disentangling moment. And the more you practice them, like say loving kindness practice, we can do that as intensive practice not just when we're aversive, but just I'm gonna do a week of loving kindness, right? Whatever comes up. And then I find the next week that it's more available. A situation might come up where your mind starts to be aversive and before it even goes there, you think, oh, let me change the channel to loving kindness. And it really doesn't, it. it really does it. You're not like wrenching it away, but because you've strengthened that muscle, it's much more available.
0: Coming up, Carol Wilson on the concept of total presence, why the real source of suffering is making it all about you and the vast power, often pernicious power, of the habitual mind. That's after this. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is the first thing you would do if you had an extra hour in your day? Many of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. Therapy can help you figure out what matters to you so you can do more of it. This is something I've spoken about at length for many years with with my therapist as somebody with a pronounced tendency toward overscheduling, working on figuring out what I care most about, what matters most to me, has been very useful when it comes to setting priorities. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Happier Today to get 10% off your first month. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. This is perhaps a bit idiosyncratic, but one of the experiences that my son, Alexander, loves is mini golf. We recently went to a mini-golf-themed uh, restaurant in, uh, in Denver where we were traveling. And uh, when we go to Montauk, which is our favorite beach town here on the East Coast, we play mini-golf at Putt-Putt all the time, Alexander, his buddies, me. And in one way or another, these experiences are really what become the, the most memorable and important part about taking trips. Which brings me to Viator, which is a website and app where you can book travel experiences, everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. I have used Viator myself. I find it to be incredibly helpful. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. You've been practicing for uh, a non-trivial amount of time, and I'm just curious: Does it work?
2: (laughs) Yes, I don't honestly can't imagine my life without it because it's been, you know, all of my adult life since I was 19. Absolutely, everything I've said is like it's it doesn't work in the sense that we have. I'm going to do this and have this insight, and then everything's okay from now on. It's moment to moment as i've been talking about for the rest of your life that never stops the empty phenomena don't stop rolling along but it gets more and more clear the wisdom gets more available the suffering gets more obvious and it really it really decreases absolutely i mean your personality <laughs> doesn't get that different <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter so much anymore. Yes, there's so much, there's so much more ease. There's so much more willingness, understanding. Like when I'm really caught up these days, I can get caught up easily, more easily with politics, with any of the suffering in the world, pick any of the 50 different countries right now that there's immense suffering. And I read about it, it's just almost unbearable. And then I remember, yes, this is this is what it is right now. Instead of pushing myself, it takes the faith of all my years of practice to open into that sorrow, and in that in that awareness, there really is a sense of freedom from it. I can't believe when that happens. And I, I I'll remember another time and try and make it happen. but I'm trying to make it happen because I don't want to feel the suffering, and it doesn't work. You can tell. <laughs> so yes, it does work, but it's not like. It's not a short-term thing. And it's its never what we think it's going to be. And the happiness, from my understanding, my limited understanding that the Buddha's offering us, is different from any happiness our normal day-to-day mind thinks of. I know this is 10% happier. It really gets to be a lot of more percent happier, but it's a different kind of happiness. But yes, in daily life, more than 10% happier, 15% happier, a lot more percent happier. But the real freedom is a, a completely different kind of happiness that is not dependent on the presence or absence of pleasant or unpleasant experience. It's not dependent on what's happening at all because that's out of our control completely. So it's a kind of a deeper faith of totally being present the things as they are in this moment, that's all there is. All I can know is this moment. And the total presence is, you know, you know, the uh, Third Zen Patriarch poem, they used to read it in retreats all the time. I don't just remember the first line, but. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. Make the slightest distinction, whatever though, and heaven and hell are set infinitely apart. But that doesn't mean you can't tell what anything is. It just means it's all this right now. It's all this moment. Total presence. We can't do it with an act of will.
0: Why does it make you happy?
2: Really, because the sources of suffering really are the qualities in the mind. I would say greed, hatred, delusion. You know, the real source of suffering is making it all about me. Mm -hmm. And when I'm the center, when it's Carol relating to this, even if it's a happy experience, it just isn't. As soon as it's not the center of everything, it's an ease. It's a happiness. There's no reference point. There's no comparing back to something else. Happiness doesn't actually apply because that implies unhappiness. There's nothing to suffer about. It's like this. And that applies in a world that you know, is a mess and we can't make, stop being that way. Happiness is a tricky word. For me, but different temperaments. My temperament tends more to silence and peace would be more the words I use. But other people might use the word happiness or love or connectedness or joy. You know, any word is just kind of coming out of our personality. But I know it sounds weird to think that that sense of me being the center is actually the thing that kind of tightens things up. But a moment of that, it's available to all of us. You know, when you go out at some clear night, which isn't tonight, and look up at the stars, and there's just a moment, ah, not thinking, oh, what's that star? Or, oh, I'm having a nice moment. Or this is good. At least I'm out of the house and the kids. But just that, ah, you know, that sense of peace or awe, whatever. That's what I'm talking about. We all know that. Right? That can be with anything. It doesn't have to be incredible, like the universe, the stars.
0: That thrilling feeling of being small in a good way is, I think, what you're pointing at. And that can even come up when you notice that greed doesn't have to have the wrapper of your stories. It can just be seen as an impersonal phenomenon rolling on.
2: That's right. Yeah. Small in a good way or. Yeah, you're not the center of everything. You're not looking at everything, and reflecting it back to me. It's just not there. You're not trying to get rid of it. It's just not there. Right. You're not even small. It's just not. You're just not even thinking. Right. It's just a, not a thought right. at the moment. It's nothing so mystical. It's an experience we all have. We just mostly overlook it.
0: It's mystical in that it's hard to describe without running up into this into the thicket of language.
2: It's absolute. I mean. Yeah, I've been practicing a long time. And it's true. I can read or hear stuff now that makes total sense that, you know, 35 years ago, I would be beating my my head against the wall trying to parse it and understand it. Totally. (laughs) Believe me. Totally.
0: I do believe you Uh, because I've had a scintilla of that experience myself.
2: Yeah, totally, you know. And what was interesting was I understand it because I quit trying to understand it. The thing that went away wasn't that I got the answer. It was like I realized, oh, it doesn't work like that. But you have to get that like a million times. Oh, it doesn't work like that.
0: (laughs) So many times in my own practice, which is, you know, unspectacular, but there's so many times in my practice where I'll be on day six of a retreat and banging my head up against the wall. And Joseph has to say, for the millionth time, surrender. Take yourself out. Just let the Dharma do what it has to do. I also heard this great expression once, stop chasing the Dharma. The Dharma's chasing you.
2: Oh, that's nice. I like that. (laughs) I like that. And it's true. We do hear it 10 million times. That's okay. That's just why we're talking about habits. (laughs) And I don't know if this fits in, but I've been liking it. I just remembered it lately. I was telling a friend, said, you know, human beings, we don't like suffering. But we love the causes of suffering.
0: <laughs> yes, I love cake, but I don't love the 30th slice sending me down the shame spiral. So, yes, that makes sense.
2: Exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: And you're exactly right about in my opinion about we have to hear it a hundred times. I remember when I started this podcast, somebody saying, Well, how many episodes can you get out of the Dharma or happiness? And I, I said, do you do you think that people will just get enlightened by episode 30 and I have I can stop producing? You just need to hear it over and over from many different people, or even the same person using the exact same words.
2: I know. We just need to keep reminding ourselves. Yes. Actually, the thing that kind of is most amazing to me the more I practice is the power of the habitual habits of mind Uh the power to just sink back in and forget you know Uh like these moments of freedom we talk it's so obvious when there's that moment of happiness for you so obvious the other stuff just isn't really interesting you don't have to think about it it's clear and it can be one One hour later, five minutes later, you turn around. It's like, wow! I really hope they have bananas at breakfast, or I'm really going to be upset. How can that be? It's amazing. (laughs) So yes, there are you know unusual beings who do see through really quickly. You know, and that's a whole other thing of karma and past lives or whatever. But for most of us, we need to keep just you know resetting, resetting resetting and whatever helps us remember that's why i say there's so many techniques podcasters reading i mean the buddha spent 45 years walking around india you know trying to share his teachings and according to what we know from the pali scriptures he helped a lot of people and he didn't help a lot of people right and it's been 26 2700 years and we, we just keep doing whatever we can you know whatever we can realizing every moment's a new moment, one commitment in the beginning of the day, that's what it is. It might help us the next moment, but we need to do it again. It may not be inspiring, but to me, that seems how it is, except for some rare beings so that it gets steady quicker.
0: It is inspiring, actually, and it's comforting and re- it's reassuring that this is a practice. We're all going to mess up, but we can keep practicing.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I I... I well, I don't know who all you've talked to, but I, I can't imagine you've talked to anyone that I know who would say, oh, yes, I've got it all down. <laughs> I'm completely awakened, right?
0: No, I have not.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> Neither.
0: Well, I'm very grateful to you for making the time for this. Oh, Is- I
2: appreciate it. I just I hope it was somehow helpful to one person. That's what I always think. If something I say helps one person. I'm happy, 10% happier.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can reassure you because I'm the one person at the very least.
2: Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Before I let you go, do you have a website if people want to learn more about you?
2: They could go to the IMS website, it's a meditation society, dharma.org. And, you know, as a list of all the teachers, I'm one of the guiding teachers. If you can click on my name and they take you to a list of things I'm teaching, or you can write to me care of that care of IMS that's it I'm not a good uh, promoter
0: kind of makes me like you even more I really appreciate you doing this thank you very much
2: it's nice to meet you I'm glad to meet you yeah thanks for your time
0: thanks again to Carol Wilson great to have her on the show thank you as well to everybody who makes this show a reality Gabrielle Zuckerman DJ Kashmir Justine Davey Lauren Smith our senior producer is Marissa Schneiderman Kimmy Regler is our managing producer and our executive producer is Jen Poyant Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you all on Friday for a bonus meditation. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash
2: survey. Terms apply visit go.amic slash you know business.
1: Hey grown-ups, the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wonder, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his Fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself. And it becomes very clear that the cat has other plans for the podcast.